Welcome to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. This is a podcast where we talk all things culture, leadership and teamwork across business and sport. To all our loyal listeners, the Culture of Things podcast will now have specific episodes produced for YouTube. To ensure you don't miss out on this exclusive YouTube content, head over to YouTube, click on the subscribe button, and hit the notification bell. Now, let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to the Culture of Things podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Rogers, and today is episode 67. Today, I'm talking with ex-Google employee, Taris Kobanek. Taris is famous or infamous for a document he wrote as a Google employee questioning Google's anti-racism actions. He was eventually sacked by Google and shared his experiences on Tucker Carlson Tonight in the US and Trigonometry, which is a free speech YouTube show and podcast. Today, we're focused on having a chat around Taris's experiences at Google, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Taris, welcome to the Culture Things podcast. Hello, Brandon. Uh, glad to be here. How's my Ukrainian my Ukrainian talking about your last name or pronouncing your last name? It was pretty close. Taras Kobernik, yeah. Excellent, mate. I just I don't I I don't have this roll on the tongue actually, so No worries. <laughs> mate, now you were sacked by Google. We'll we'll go into a little bit of that. We'll get you to give some background, but I hear you've got another job finally, or you're you're about to start a job in the new year. Yeah, unless they fire me before I even manage to start. Let's see how it goes. Surely not. Surely not. You can't have it happen twice, can you? Uh, I try to exceed expectations. <laughs> Good on you, buddy. Good on you. Well, look, thank, thanks for coming on, Taris. I know you've uh, said you've been in, in high demand a, a number of months ago around this experience and just sharing your experiences. And I know when I watched Trigonometry, you were very articulate, uh, very measured, and it wasn't about beating anyone up or anything. It was just sharing your experiences, which is fantastic, which is what I really look to unpack today, mate. So thanks again for coming on. Thank you. My pleasure. Mate, how about first of all, you give us, I gave you a little brief introduction and a brief biography. How about you share a little bit of your background and uh, leading into Google and now, now we're at today? I graduated uh, university and with a degree in theoretical physics, although I wouldn't hire myself as a physicist. I've never worked in that field and probably wasn't that great to begin with. Most of my experience was uh, in IT, but as a network engineer and um, everything related. And I even uh, actually switched to something closer to Google speciality way later. I worked on some data processing, but uh, Google was probably my first job as a software engineer, proper job. So, mate, just tell me about the, I guess maybe that, that first period of time at Google, that first sort of three months or so. You must have been excited. You'd you know, got a job at a big company. Just share, share those initial experiences with us. Uh, sure. It was uh, very exciting, not just because of Google. It was my basically second trip outside of XUSSR. My first trip was uh, for my on-site interviews with Google for two days. So everything was new to me. I was excited to try to live in a new, more civilized country. I was excited about uh, being a part of a huge company working on uh, bleeding edge technologies and such. So yeah, I was uh, uh, very hopeful and I liked it. And uh, at the beginning, uh, ex the experience was great because uh, at the beginning, you just go through a lot of uh, 
trainings and uh, you get uh, some slack because you are supposed to uh, become familiar with a lot of internal technologies, tools, and so on. So um, you can kind of do whatever you want to a degree. You still have to work on your projects, but uh, you have much more freedom. And it was uh, great. Uh, and uh, it generally, it can be great uh, at Google because Google has so much so many resources of different kinds and so much of them and a lot of different projects and everyone can potentially find the project uh, interested in. Though uh, generally it's a huge gamble, uh, a lottery, and because your success in the company depends on not as much on your particular skills or even on uh, your project, but uh, on, I would say, the manager you get. And you don't often know that in advance. And even when you try to change teams later, it uh, is not always clear what kind of manager you are moving to. And uh, despite everything that the company says, uh, the manager has huge influence on your future because your manager uh, defines what kind of projects are available in the team, what kind of projects you get and what kind of approvals you get how you are getting represented uh, before the company in uh, performance reviews and such. And uh, if your manager is not good at uh, that uh, or is not interested in that, if uh, your manager is not capable of mentoring you, explaining uh, how company's culture and uh, processes uh, that are in place, you are missing important information and then just additional burden on you, burden that is normally uh, supposed to be handled by managers. And unfortunately, it's not as visible from the beginning. But uh, if you start looking around, you see that uh, really people, oh, there are people that are very happy and uh, that have great managers and there are great managers there. And there are people that are absolutely miserable there because of uh, bad mismatches with managers or just with managers not being that great. So there is a lot of hope there, but it is a lottery. Taris, what was it about that experience or your time at Google that where you started to maybe question some of the things? What, what did you see that you know, started to send your mind racing and eventually put you into a, a place of actually putting a document together? It wasn't the first document uh, that I tried uh, to write and share that particular document even started with slightly different premise. It ended up uh, describing racially related uh, initiatives at the company. But uh, we were getting some uh, messages about uh, changes to language. For example, uh, I believe it was 2018, Google has decided to, or even 2017, uh, has decided to uh, stop using words master-slave uh, as in technical terminology like the main system and the backup system and such and replace it with uh, whatever main secondary, uh, something like that. And uh, immediately the company got uh, a lot of proposals of what else to remove from the language. And uh, there was a pause for some time, but uh, it started creeping in, in 2020. And uh, while it wasn't uh, getting official, we were getting messages that we shouldn't use offensive language and such. And uh, some documents started appearing around describing things that could have been uh, potentially questionable, like 
uh, the word grandfathering that to me as maybe a non-English uh, native speaker sounds like fathering is when you create something or start something, whatever. And grandfathering to me did sound like you doing something not uh, directly, but through something else, maybe through mentoring someone and helping to create something. But actually it uh, was referring to segregation time, uh, like, mid twentieth uh, century in the US about some policies uh, limiting access for black people uh, to voting uh, or something. I don't know whether it's the only meaning of grandfathering, but uh, it was one of the examples of that of words we were advised not to use. And I was re- actually trying to list my thoughts on that topic, but I realized that uh, my document was ending having up two different uh, types of topics on language and on race, because uh, grandfathering in this case, it was both on language and on race, but uh, there was there were many other words that were not race-related, for example. And I ended up uh, writing my uh, document regarding racial ideologies first, because uh, we had been having a conversation conversations inside the team including with my manager. And my manager wanted uh, to hear my thoughts uh, uh, in order to escalate them if needed be. So I decided to help him a bit and to list it in a document and share with him. And it didn't go that well. What was it that didn't go well? If only I knew, I believe uh, I was never told uh, something specific. Uh, I was told a lot of small stuff like that my document was uh, listing cherry-picked examples, uh, or I was uh, putting fuel to the fire, or that it was offensive, or that uh, style of it was so bad that it was even possible to somehow edit it to improve it. And uh, I can understand uh, such criticism, but at the same time, people telling me that we're totally ignoring examples listed uh, in my document, examples about the company actually cherry-picking some evidence to support um, racial-related ideologies. And instead of moderating things and uh, calming everything down, actually also putting fuel to the fire, as they said. So um, I would say it was kind of hypocritical, uh, both uh, the approach of the company and the reaction to my document. But the main reason for it uh, going wrong was probably the topic being too sensitive. And the company was just afraid that uh, it might become some sort of a scandal. And it just decided to shut it down uh, as soon as possible. Taris, can you just give us a little bit of a flavor on the timeline that happened, maybe from the initial sort of document and then maybe these revised documents and now the one that the four page one that's you know, easily accessible on the internet and we'll certainly link to that in the show notes. But, you know, just a, a bit of a time series and then when those things happen, conversation with the manager and eventually you being sacked. These uh, racial ideologies went into overdrive after the death of George Floyd in the U.S. So I don't remember the date, but it was something like beginning of uh, summer, I believe. And then we started getting messages from all the management uh, basically cascading. First, the CEO sends a message, then some senior vice president, vice president uh, for your project, vice presidents for your location and such. 
and everyone was uh, advising us to educate ourselves on racism and uh, read books like White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo or the book by Ibrahim X. Candy or whatever. And uh, we were telling that uh, things are so racist that uh, basically all the problems uh, for black people are because all white people are inherently racist and such. And it was, uh, first of all, it was to me a huge exaggeration. And second, I didn't see what it was trying to achieve because to me it did look like uh, it wasn't solving the problem. It was just getting some PR credit, let's say, from uh, the whole situation. So I wrote my document end of July, something like 29th of July 2020. My manager read it a week later. And uh, over three weeks, I was getting some pressure to remove the document. I was asking to help, for help to rewrite the document so it would be more acceptable if uh, my version wasn't. I, uh, you can certainly argue that my language there was not that great as in English and the style not being perfect and such. But I was asking, okay, maybe I don't know how to do these things. Could you please help me to understand how to properly do that? And I was getting um, responses like, no, we are not going to spend time on that. I was just getting pressured uh, into removing the document. And I had a meeting on the 31st of August 2020 with my manager and with an HR representative, where I was given a written warning listing every uh, transgression that the company uh, was able to find and uh, demanding the removal of the document, which, by the way, uh, is related to the statement of the official statement Google uh, has given to Tucker Carlson's show, and uh, like this uh, summer when I was there, because uh, the company has stated that I was absolutely not fired for writing this or any other document, but uh, all my communications with my manager over three weeks were about this document and. The written warning was explicitly stating displeasure of the company with uh, my document and was demanding removal of the document. So I don't know whether it was one uh, hand not knowing what uh, the other was doing, that uh, uh, different parts of the company were not able to communicate inside of each other, or it was uh, an attempt to misrepresent the truth like, no, uh, he wasn't fired for writing the document, he was fired for not uh, removing the document or whatever, or it was just a uh, clear lie. But uh, that was the statement by the company. And in that meeting, I did uh, the last attempt to explain myself and to get some assistance into making, uh, like improving the situation. And I asked uh, two things first, whether it was possible for me to update the document and in order to make it more compliant with demands by the company. And I was told, no, the company, uh, the document had to disappear. And uh, second uh, question of mine was, okay, I removed the document, uh, but I have concerns. What do I do with these concerns? I was told that later I might, uh, the company might get me in touch with someone to talk to. That was not specific and the outcome wasn't clear. So I basically was told to make the document inaccessible without having a chance to make my concerns heard. And uh, as such, 
I didn't see a point in continuing that, so I refused to uh, remove the document. Well, technically, they were asking me to make the uh, document inaccessible. They, uh, they were stating explicitly they were not asking me to delete the document, but it was a strange demand, like, oh, you can keep the document, just make sure nobody ever sees it again. So I refused that, and they immediately fired me. At any stage before some of these conversations and, and some of the written documents took place, were you led to believe that you were a, a, an employee that was producing subpar work or you know some behavioural issues because it's, it was noted in, by Google that you're a, you know, a regularly disruptive employee to others as well? Did, did you have any indications that that was the case? There are two uh, things here. First of all, the behavior. The company has listed uh, multiple examples of people reporting my messages on internal messaging boards. And I have mentioned something on uh, trigonometry, but basically at some point I advise, uh, I recommended university lectures, uh, Maps of Meaning by Jordan Peterson, and I got reported from recommending them and mentioning this terrible, terrible person. I asked uh, once uh, questions about not even diversity initiatives in, at the company, but a proposal to change those diversity initiatives. And I asked for a reason behind that. Basically, someone was asking why the company wasn't uh, hiring more veterans. And uh, uh, the question is fine, but I decided to ask, like, what's uh, the purpose to, fi- uh, to hire veterans specifically, if they have some specific skills useful, then can we talk about those skills and maybe we can uh, figure out who else might have in the population those skills. And uh, for asking this question, I was reported for allegedly questioning and challenging diversity initiatives at the company. And uh, uh, the HR uh, acted on that, which was... uh, Contrary to the previous statement by the CEO after uh, James Damore got fired, on the official uh, blog.google, Sundar Pichai uh, wrote uh, a statement back then uh, saying that uh, actions by James Damore were not okay, but also people being afraid to ask questions uh, and uh, speak their minds uh, is also not okay and should be, and people should be able to dissent and uh, even challenge diversity. Uh, programs and such. And less than a year later, HRs uh, reprimand me for asking a question about diversity initiatives. So again, I don't know whether it was stating something that the CEO wasn't going to enforce or whether it was uh, the total inability of the CEO to actually make the company to move into that direction. But it's just yet another example of how stated things and actual things differ at Google. What would you say to people out there that listen to this and think, oh, you know, Taris is just a disgruntled employee of Google, ex-employee of Google? Sure, they should think uh, that because um, uh, what else they know and I just might be. So I'm hoping people won't just believe my words. I am trying to mention certain facts. So like uh, the post by the CEO, the... um, Document My document uh, is available on uh, Fox News website, and uh, it lists uh, other examples of what happened there, and uh, people can just check and uh, use it uh, as 
a bunch of uh, examples. Uh, the company hasn't challenged uh, uh, the facts stated there. The, uh, the company challenged uh, my perception of these facts, basically. So uh, I'm not asking people to believe me. I'm just trying to lay out certain facts, and I hope that I would be able to outline where facts and and my evaluation of these facts starts. But uh, people are free, of course, to make their own decisions. And uh, if someone decides to challenge my perception, great. After all, you are a software engineer, mate. You love a challenge, right? It's not like uh, it's always comfortable, but uh, I would be it would be a certainly dumb idea to demand people to just uh, trust uh, my word for all of this. If I was uh, listening to this podcast, for example, I would keep in mind the next thing that, yeah, I might be lying. That's a possibility. But then if I'm lying about facts that a lot of people know, and most of the things that I mention are common knowledge, at least inside the company, and some are even outside, then there are going to be plenty of people challenging my lies. And uh, I probably wouldn't risk it. So you can challenge my uh, decisions and uh, my perception, but uh, at least uh, you can uh, verify facts and uh, or believe that uh, if some facts were not true, then they would have been challenged already. And then people can make their own decisions based on that. And as I said at the top of the show, we will put a link to the document in the show notes to make it very easy for people to access and there's a number of links in your document. I want to talk about one of those links because it's one of the key things at the start of the document that you go into and it's the anti-racist allyship starter pack that you refer to. Can you just give us a little bit of context about what is the anti-racist allyship starter pack at Google? It was... Uh spreadsheet uh, listing a bunch of articles that uh, people were getting recommended to uh, read and educate themselves on the topic of racism and such. I saw that uh, LA ship pack getting shared inside of uh, the company. And from my perspective, it was a grassroots initiative. So it wasn't the company forcing that onto people. But the excuse that it was a grassroots initiative stops uh, working since uh, I later got reprimanded for asking questions whether this allyship pack was within policies. At some point, I uh, I submitted a couple of questions to some company-wide meeting, and one of these questions was linking, I believe, to that pack, and uh, I was asking whether statements like white people have no culture and what do we do with white people or whatever are they considered to be within companies' policies uh, that prohibit racial-based discrimination? And someone reported me for posting that question uh, through official channels, uh, uh, specifically for people asking questions. I was um, reported for questioning anti-racism materials or something like that. And again, HRs acted on that, so it wasn't just some person reported, uh, reporting me, it was probably some HR uh, accepting that report, then sending it to uh, the HR responsible for our team. That HR was uh, sharing it with my manager. They both wrote and signed uh, the written warning with uh, quotes uh, from uh, these cases when I was getting reported. So it was a um, responsibility of uh, at least two or three 
managers and HRs at the company for reprimanding me for asking a question whether it was within policies. So if you do that, you cannot uh, already avoid the responsibility for that pack uh, going around. And in addition to that, uh, while that was a grassroots initiative, there was a different document listing slightly different links that was getting shared by the top management, I believe, from the CEO himself, but certainly from uh, senior VP, from our uh, vice president, from uh, by vice presidents uh, responsible for our office and such. And uh, that other pack also encourages white people to educate themselves and their children and lists as uh, advice reading books by uh, Robin D'Angelo and Abraham X. Candy. Yeah, mate, I've had a extensive look at the the document. It is a Google document, not a not a uh, Microsoft spreadsheet. So they're they're at least using their own tools. Well, but... I meant uh, spreadsheet as in a Google spreadsheet. Yes, mate. One of the first things I I see, and you know, the first section is titled "On Whiteness," and it says you know there's links to all sorts of documents, as you say, but seventy five things white people can do for racial justice. Why feminism is white supremacy in heels. White fragility, as you referred to, and white people have no culture. I'm a big believer in the phrase culture is a reflection of leadership. And the CEO of Google being Sundar Pikau, if that's how you pronounce it, I'm not too sure. But what sort of evidence did you see coming from the top, from the CEO that supports or maybe promotes the thinking that this has in the Google organization? It's hard to say what kind of signals are there from the CEO. He seems to be very careful not to say things, as if he even sleeps with an earpiece with a dozen of lawyers in it at any given time, telling him to avoid talking. Generally, he is very cautious, and so it's hard to understand what he wants the company to do, and that is partially a problem because uh, the CEO is supposed to lead the company to define the vision for the company. And maybe he's great as uh, in his interactions with uh, top-level managers, but uh, for the company itself, they could have hired any person to just pose for photo ops, basically. I can't say that uh, he is ideological or that he's pushing all this stuff. It might as well be a result of uh, the company not having any idea how to act in such circumstances. And they are just trying to, again, be careful and take uh, the current liberal approach uh, in the U.S. that, yeah, uh, racism is bad and uh, we should educate ourselves and all white people uh, are bad. And... I can understand that, but even then, it could have been done better. I've seen one uh, director-level manager who, instead of just propagating all these messages about white people being inherently racist, simply said that, listen, people, in the U.S., it is a difficult time because there is uh, racial-related tension, and there are uh, certain events uh, that are happening that uh, increase that tension. Please keep that in mind, especially when you're talking to colleagues from the U.S., and be careful about uh, about that. And it was a reasonable message. Yeah, there is a problem. Uh, maybe we don't know what uh, exactly to do. Be careful. Think uh, twice when you do something. Instead of just uh, indiscriminately 
discriminating white people by calling them racist and such. Unfortunately, that was uh, the approach by the top management was different. And uh, I don't think that uh, this uh, that the CEO is pushing this agenda, but he's certainly not uh, preventing it from happening. As I have mentioned again on trigonometry, there was a case where a lot of people inside the company were mobbing and uh, harassing one employee who was unlucky to call the police on a black person who looked like a trespasser back in the US. And uh, neither the CEO of YouTube, Susan Wojcicki, nor uh, the CEO of uh, Google, Sundar Pichai, uh, said anything to stop that harassment from happening, to indicate that this behavior is inappropriate. They just uh, both made statements about uh, safety of black employees being important for the company, which is totally true, but it wasn't the topic of uh, the conversation. There's a statement in the white fragility reference, and it says, if you disagree that you are a racist, you are a racist. What's your take on that? Uh, that was me basically paraphrasing it. Honestly, I haven't read uh, the book myself. I've checked a few excerpts from it, and I checked uh, a few videos by Robin D'Angelo from uh, different seminars led by her, and I checked uh, a couple of reviews uh, of uh, the White Fragility book, including the one listed in my document by Sean McWhorter, I believe. And uh, the premise of white, uh, white Fragility seems to be that white people are racist, and if you tell them they are racist uh, and they become uncomfortable because of that that's, and start uh, disagreeing with you, that you, uh, they are racist, that is uh, white fragility, which is a sign of them being racist. So you either agree that you are racist or you disagree, and that's white fragility and you are racist. There is no exit from that. In your opinion, Taras, how is all of this descriptive words about color and all that, how is that bringing people together in a culture of Google? I don't think it, uh, it's bringing people together specifically because uh, it uh, creates lines that were not there because of uh, people trying not to treat each other by the color of their skin and such. And now all the attention is on race. And you have to think about race when you talk to someone uh, or you talk about someone and such. And this uh, just divides people. And uh, there might be an argument, uh, sure, for uh, yet another round of segregation just with different intentions and such. But uh, I haven't heard a good argument for actually solving the problem that is uh, being stated, as in uh, white people are racists uh, and uh, black people suffer because of that. There seems to be no good way to fix this thing, at least uh, uh, from the point of view of the problem as it is being stated. And uh, as such, you can only isolate uh, one group from another in order to avoid any interactions. And generally, uh, I believe that whatever racist there is, often is a result of uh, people facing things they are not familiar with. Like, uh, sure, when uh, people from a different country come to you and you are not used to people from other countries, you are cautious about them and you, uh, others can call that racism. And fair enough, again, there is an argument there. But uh, that is 
getting fixed over time by exposure to people from different cultures, from different countries and such. And uh, this seems to be a natural way to resolve this problem, if, uh, even if it is there. But it's not like people advocating for these anti-racism treatments are trying to solve the problem. It looks like their goals are slightly different. But you're one employee or ex-employee of Google, and I'm just wondering, you've been outside of the Google walls for some time now, but are you the only one that felt this way You know, within Google? Is it, was it just you or, or are there other people that have, are raising the same questions or maybe just scared to raise the questions? There are plenty of people that are scared to uh, ask questions there, even uh, if uh, these are questions not about racial ideologies, but about other things like diversity and inclusion initiatives. But uh, there are people that are not happy with this. There are not that many, but there are. There are people that were trying to keep their distance from any politics inside the company. Oh, as long as I don't touch this subject, I'm going to be fine and I can just do my job, uh, be a good engineer and such. And even these people started telling me at some point that it was getting too much because uh, first uh, someone was telling me, oh, you should have been very uh, um, like more careful with your statements. And then the same person tells me, oh, look at uh, the official Google blog. Uh, they have just made yet another post about uh, uh, all this nonsense. And uh, another person who was joking uh, about me being not happy with all this state of things all the time and uh, telling me to just stay away and uh, chill out. And that person started telling me at some point that, no, it's just getting too much, all these messages from the top management, and you don't know what to do with that. Uh, and uh, there is all this pressure and it's nonsense and it just prevents you from doing your engineering job. And after my appearance on trigonometry, some people contacted me, Google employees, and they are also not happy and they were glad for someone to speak up. And uh, some people try to raise their concerns, but uh, obviously they are concerned uh, about their future. And uh, if you have a family and you getting fired from Google for asking such questions, it's going to be hard on you because you are responsible for providing to your family. Our interview will continue after this. An expression of gratitude or reciprocity, no matter how large or small, is an important part of a healthy culture and relationships. Our friends at Jangler have a great app that allows you to send a gift card with either a personal video, voice message, or funny gif. You can send it right away or schedule to send on the perfect day and time. So it can be something you set and forget. It's perfect for clients, employees, birthdays, and any celebration where you can't be there in person. It's quick, easy to send, and you can spend instantly in-store or online when you receive a card. Check it out at www.jangler.com.au. That's www.jangler.com.au. In previous conversations we've had, Taris, you talked about something called citizenship contributions. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
and reason why it's really important for you to share because I've done some, re- you know, quite a bit of research in preparation for our conversation today, and I can't find anything on Google about citizenship contributions. So if you can do that and help us, that'd be awesome. First, it's uh, useful to mention what is a software engineering letter. It's an internal document at Google that describes requirements that you as a software engineer have to meet repeatedly because you have to demonstrate meeting them every performance review cycle that happens every half a year. And other job uh, roles, uh, different types of engineers or not even engineers, they have their own letter descriptions. And uh, citizenship contribution was a change to this document, change that happened, uh, I believe, end of summer 2019. And uh, it basically stated uh, that in addition to everything else, like all other requirements were kept there, it just uh, added another requirement that in order to satisfy requirements, you as an engineer have to also demonstrate that you are a valuable member of uh, internal Google community. And uh, we were given four examples of uh, what is going to be considered uh, a citizenship contribution. One was performing interviews for people applying for jobs at Google, like engineering interviews, because these interviews are actually being done by engineers. The second example was uh, performing certain type of uh, code reviews, so-called readability reviews uh, that are not about uh, how your code solves problems related to your uh, project, but more about your code being compliant with company-wide style uh, of writing code so everyone would have easier time understanding it. The third example was participation in diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. And the fourth was uh, giving classes, lessons to other employees inside the company. This uh, change was getting marketed internally as an attempt to recognize uh, contributions by people that already do all this stuff. But uh, since all that stuff was not considered to be a part of uh, requirements, uh, people were not getting awarded for that, basically. And that could have been uh, fine, but the change was mandatory. You were told that you were supposed to start providing such contributions, providing some proof of such contributions to your for your performance reviews. And as such, Google is an amazing company in many regards. And being an amazing company, they decided to make an amazing things and uh, I believe have produced an amazing example that can be used in many textbooks under the section of how not to do things. Because if you want uh, just reward people, but instead you add the requirements to people, it's already a contradiction. Let's simplify a little bit and uh, change the scale. Let's say that we are not talking about uh, the company as a whole, but or not uh, about a company big, as big as Google, but about some small team. And your team is working on some project or multiple projects. And uh, at some point, the management of the team decides that it is worth putting additional effort into yet another thing. Fair enough. It might be useful. It might not, but at least it's a reasonable decision. But uh, usually what you do then, you try to figure out who would be the right person or people to work on uh, this new initiative, whatever. You try to set priorities 
so others would know how important this new thing is. Like, okay, we are working on thing A, and when we are done with it, or if there is some pause, then we switch into this thing B. Or maybe you allocate different amounts of resources, like, okay, uh, four days a week we work on our regular projects, and one day a week we work on this new thing. That would work. Unfortunately, nothing on that uh, was done. We were just told that we are supposed to provide these contributions. We were not supposed about the amount of these contributions. Like, if you do code reviews, how many of these reviews, how difficult these reviews are supposed to be to satisfy these contributions? If you perform interviews, how many interviews uh, would satisfy these uh, requirements and such? We were just given an order to start doing yet another thing in addition uh, to all other things. Then I believe another reason for it to be wrong was that instead of trying to incentivize things that the company wanted, the company decided to just give an order to everyone to work on something. Let's take interviews, for example. It's important for the company for these interviews to happen because the company grows all the time and uh, the company does a huge amount of these interviews all the time. So you want people, uh, you want engineers to uh, perform these interviews. And there are engineers that are interested in this, actually, because it's actually fun. You talk to some new person, you discuss some kind of computer science problem, you see how that person is doing, you may be trying to provide some hints, uh, you train yourself in kind of something related to teaching, you try to provide good experience to the applicant, uh, to the interviewee and such. And some people liked that and wanted to do that. And others uh, don't want that because they are more introverted, don't want talking to people, whatever. Maybe they prefer some other tasks uh, over interviewing. And it would have been fine probably to let people interested in this to do more interviews and to reward them for this. Instead of that, uh, the company just ordered everyone to do something. And uh, if it was, let's say, just about interviews, it would just mean that people that are not good at that and not happy doing these interviews have to do these interviews and probably create worse uh, experience to candidates. And uh, overall, expanding the pool of interviewers but uh, decreasing the quality of interviews. The same applies, for example, to classes, because uh, a lot of people teach and had been teaching classes at Google. But with this initiative, uh, I saw people that were not interested in teaching classes starting looking for classes to teach as a, a way to satisfy such citizenship contribution requirements. And that meant that people that were not interested, that were not great at teaching, we're starting teaching and, again, creating probably not that a great experience to people around. And you can always talk about things like uh, two of these examples, interviews and code reviews, are essential for the company. So it's fine for the company to want to do that. But uh, the company never was properly rewarding that, let's say. Uh, let's take an extreme example. I highly doubt that you can get promoted uh, at Google and uh, getting promoted over time is important. You cannot get promoted by just doing interviews uh, like 40 hours a week. No way. You have to demonstrate some other skills, not just other, but uh, you have to do more. You cannot just get good grades and good uh, results and promotions by 
doing good job. You have to increase the quality of your job, increase the difficulty that you tackle all the time. And as such, basically, time spent on interviewing was time uh, taken from your other projects, time uh, that you were given up, like you were given up uh, on your ability to produce better engineering results and get better grades, let's say. Uh, so the company tells you that both things are important, but you are not to interview too much because it would be not what the company wants and kind of contradiction in uh, the company's statement because if the company really values these contributions, they have to be stated like that. And uh, if it doesn't value, then let people not spend time on that because you're setting priorities and people see other engineering tasks as more prior uh, of higher priorities. So I would say the overall approach to this citizenship contribution change was bad. I haven't seen anyone being actually happy with this, although I have seen many managers justifying this again by the new ability to reward such contributions, but it wasn't again the, uh, the case. Make it optional and then you can justify this change with that. But as long as uh, these contributions are mandatory, you cannot just say that this is just to reward people that already do that. At the very beginning, someone even wrote a satirical short piece of how all this uh, is going to look in the future, how the company is going to create precise metrics to finally measure all this stuff, and how you picking some litter from the floor and throwing into a trash can would be valued as one milli interview for purposes of measuring your citizenship contributions and such. And uh, management was actually aware of that. Uh, we were uh, given that uh, short piece as a funny thing related to citizenship contributions at some point. But overall, nothing changed. The company uh, postponed uh, introduction of uh, these requirements for about a year, I believe, because people were not happy. But now they have, uh, like, now people really have to produce all that stuff. And you can see that the company has demonstrated first its ability to basically renegotiate your contract without even talking to you, because they don't change the contract. They change an internal document and you have to comply with it because in the contract it says that you have to comply with internal policies and such. And in this internal, into this internal document, they add things that are not directly related to engineering job. You can say that interviews and uh, code reviews are related, but for example, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, initiatives and given classes on whatever, yoga, growing tomatoes, uh, it's good if you give in something on some programming language, but not necessarily. You can give on whatever you want. Those are not part of engineering description anywhere, as far as I am aware. But uh, at Google, you are suddenly facing a case when a company adds non-engineering requirements to engineering jobs. doesn't explain how it is supposed to actually work and just tells you that you have to produce all that stuff. So yeah, if uh, I would make an assumption, I would say the whole approach was out there for someone to secure some promotion. And uh, because of other incentives that exist in the company, for example, you cannot just get promoted again by doing regular job. You have to demonstrate that you finish some se serious projects and such. Uh, you have to demonstrate some artifacts and such, and that incentivizes sometimes bad behavior. For example, 
since you are supposed to demonstrate ever increasing, like ideally, level of performance in the company, you don't want some performance cycles where you demonstrate less results than in the previous cycle. And uh, that makes some people reluctant to take on longer or more riskier projects, because if they don't finish in time, you have nothing to demonstrate often for your performance review. And then some people, even if unintentionally, start creating some projects, not as much for customers to benefit from them, but in order to produce some artifacts for performance reviews. So the next time you see some change in interface on your Android phone or whatever, maybe someone is getting a promotion, finally. And uh, that makes me think that maybe all this approach to citizenship contributions, uh, disrupting things to a large part of the company, to all software engineers, was just an, an intent by someone to uh, demonstrate big enough impact to the internal culture and to secure some kind of promotion, maybe. Yeah, there's this part of me, Taris, if I'm understanding you correctly, that says, well, you know, it's it's just a company that's pushing something through the organization which they believe enhances their culture and and sort of a culture of giving, you know, other Googlers giving back to the to other Googlers and to the organization. But I guess also understanding what you shared earlier in the conversation today and we've as we said talk about the anti racist ally allyship starter pack. And that bit about the the working on the DEI side and then the potential link to the financial remuneration process, it sort of says to me or, or raises a red flag in my head that if they're driving a certain potential narrative through the organization and if your narrative or if your questioning of that narrative is there, then you're not going to you're not going to go too well with the citizenship contributions, which means that's going to have a financial impact on you and you certainly won't have any opportunity for progression within the business. Is that a fair assumption to make? You don't have to do all these four things at once. Uh, you have to demonstrate just some kind of uh, citizenship contributions and some people try to escape this by getting into interviews or uh, code reviews and such and uh, those are engineering-related things. But you cannot always do that because when you join the company, you are not familiar enough with internal culture of writing code. And you actually have to go through sometimes quite lengthy process of uh, getting experience and getting approvals for you, you know, uh, to be able to perform uh, such kinds of reviews yourself. And uh, sometimes you can do that in a few months, but uh, in other cases, depends on language that you use, uh, like programming language, it might take a year or even more. And uh, during this time, these code reviews are out of question for you. And also, you cannot start interviewing people immediately after joining the company. Because uh, at least when I joined in 2016, and I wanted to do uh, interviews, education, uh, like classes that you had to take in order to start interviewing, were only available for people with more than six uh, months of experience at the company, I believe, maybe even a year. I'm not exactly sure, but six months for sure. And uh, that also means that when you joined the company, interviews are not uh, an option for you. So you have to choose between giving classes and participating in uh, these DI initiatives. 
And uh, I've heard rumors that uh, this DEI participation was actually the original idea behind citizenship contributions. I don't know whether it's true. I cannot uh, claim that it was uh, so, but it might be a possibility. And at least DEI initiatives are linked to the current uh, U.S. ideologies and uh, them being a part of uh, all these contributions without getting balanced by something else on ideological side looks like leaning into one specific direction. I just want to go back a little bit and Google, given the behemoth that it is and the fact that it just touches so many places in the world, really, and so many people, in your insider knowledge, how worried, concerned are you and and should we be potentially around the fact that some of this stuff that may be happening within Google, wrongly or rightly, but it has a real chance to change so many people's mindset or to push certain forms of information given that you know Google has the platform and the whole uh, method of the Google search platform is to push certain information into people's eyeballs so they can read it and find it. How concerned should we be about some of these things and some of your perception or some of your views that you've shared today? I think that most of the people at Google are not trying to push these ideolo- uh, such ideologies. Uh, they try to do a good engineering job, and uh, many pro- uh, products might be just fine. Unfortunately, there is constant pressure from the leadership and uh, HRs and such with regard to all this stuff, diversity and inclusion, racial stuff and such. And uh, since I was getting reprimanded several times for just asking different questions and got fired for raising my concerns, I can imagine that other people might not risk pushing back against all this stuff. And uh, as a result, it uh, creates two things. First of all, when you cannot detect a problem, you don't have a chance to fix a problem. And uh, how do you know when these things start getting too far and really start hurting something if uh, people that ask questions and dissent are getting reprimanded? And as such, the company is just basically breaking internal feedback mechanisms to detect problems and fix them. And that goes against principles that Google has in relation to hardware and software, let's say. And uh, I think uh, they are good approaches. For example, Google approaches both software and hardware as if it's going to inevitably fail sooner or later, whatever you do. So uh, instead of just designing super reliable servers. As far as I'm aware, Google had started back in the day with data centers consisting with some junk computers. And if some computer was stopping working, that computer was just getting thrown away and getting replaced by something else. And uh, in order for that to work, Google designed a system to manage all that stuff, to detect failures, and to start new servers as necessary. For example, if you decide that you want three copies of your server, uh, like web server, whatever, running on uh, in a data center, and the system managing data center detects that one of hardware servers running your program dies, 
it just uh, decides, uh, makes a decision and starts a copy of your program on server that is healthy. And as such, failures happen, but they get mitigated pretty fast. Similar with software. Uh, you design software and you expect parts of your system to fail, systems that you depend on to fail. And you have to think, how would your program work if that specific subsystem becomes unavailable for whatever reason? And uh, maybe you provide some messages to customers that uh, the functionality is degraded temporarily. Or maybe you uh, just uh, start trying to use that subsystem and uh, save yourself some effort. But you make sure that the rest of your system works and as much as possible. And uh, the whole idea is that you design everything to detect any failures and uh, to mitigate consequences of these failures. You decide backup, me uh, backup mechanisms and such. But when it comes to managing people or to managing the company as a whole, well, the company seems to have a different approach, that things just supposed to work. As I have mentioned with managers, doesn't look like the company has a good way to detect when managers are bad. But there are some uh, mechanisms but uh, the company seem to rely on, but they don't seem to be good enough from perspective of employees. And uh, if you start asking questions, uh, of the company might decide, oh, but we have such a great system for managing things. Uh, and uh, you are asking questions is probably you are not seeing something and you are getting dismissed. So uh, the company has two different approaches to hardware and software and to managing things in the company. And the second thing that starts with all this pressure uh, from HRs and uh, top management, let's say that man uh, engineers that work on a product are not ideological, but you have to somehow evaluate quality of your product. And uh, for example, when you work on search, you evaluate quality of search by taking a sample of a huge amount of search queries. And when you make some change, uh, and you uh, run these queries through the system and you record answers of that system, and then you make some change uh, to the system and you don't know whether it's a good uh, change or not because the system is so complex that you cannot predict all possible outcomes. And then you run all this, uh, the same queries again, and you compare results to previously recorded ones, and you check differences, and you decide this difference is good, this difference is bad, and then you make a decision on your change as a whole. Now, when you have to grade these uh, changes, when the topic is not friendly to these current ideologies, do you try to protect uh, quality of the system as you can see it? Or do you just accept that if you start asking questions, you're going to get into trouble? And maybe people would just start deciding, okay, it is not worth it. I will just accept that uh, uh, this change is neutral or whatever. We won't care about this. Maybe that's what happened to ranking on YouTube for Tucker Carlson, as I was asked on trigonometry. That's a possibility of one-off. It is certainly necessary to investigate when things start getting badly for high visibility resources, but it might just be a result of, uh, so it might be a, just a mistake of some algorithm, but it might be a result of people not catching this because they think, okay, this is Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson seems to be not compliant with current ideologies, so we would like to 
stay away from that topic and we won't even evaluate changes to Tucker Carlson, for example, or whatever. And as such, over time, because you have no breaks, you have no ability to detect problem, you have no ability to, de- uh, to correct it. So over time, your system starts creeping in the direction of uh, reducing quality changing results for things that you are not interested in. And that is probably a real issue of SIC. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, in, in Australia specifically, you know, the government is uh, making some moves to you know, bring in world-first laws around sort of social media companies and you know, these big tech companies. But look, I, I don't know the, the details and it's really fascinating to listen to, to what you're saying and the, the possibilities that are there. I guess it's a, it's a watch this space, isn't it? But with your move from Google and, and you know, being sacked from Google, my understanding is you found it very, very difficult to find another role. And as we said at the top of the show, you're, you're lucky enough to have found one now and, and hopefully start in the new year. But what you've sort of felt and indicated on other shows that you know, Google hasn't made it easy for you. Can you just elaborate on that for us so we understand what's happened? I don't know whether it was an intentional attempt to make things harder for me or it was just yet another inefficiency by the bureaucracy. But uh, here in Switzerland, and as far as I understand, in Germany, Austria, it's a cultural thing. You are supposed to have references from your previous uh, employers. And uh, I was told that some companies, I was told by recruiters uh, working on different projects, that some companies don't even consider your application if you don't have a reference letter. It might have contributed uh, to my difficulties. Certainly, it wasn't the only one because there are other reasons as well. For example, my German is far from being fluent and uh, it's important to have a good German for many projects here. And then some companies just being afraid to talk uh, to ex-employees by Google because uh, Google, at least in Switzerland, pays... uh, nicely. I would say, uh, as far as uh, I'm aware, Google pays much better than it pays in London and probably in other places. Switzerland seems to be an anomaly in that regard. I don't know exactly why. But uh, people coming from Google, they often expect Google-level salaries and they cannot often find them around. And some companies just don't want to even bother uh, with talking to people because it would be a waste of time because they wouldn't be able to afford such salary. And then uh, there were other reasons as well. But uh, one of the things was this reference letter that first Google Google waited for half a year to provide it uh, uh, me with one, though uh, an employer is uh, obliged by law, as far as I understand, to provide one to a former employee. And uh, I only got mine when I pushed uh, towards court uh, uh, with lawyers. Basically, we had to go to a judge. And then a few days be- uh, before the court meeting with uh, Google, empl- uh, Google representatives, I was getting sent uh, suddenly the reference letter. Oh, we finally did it, uh, despite uh, several previous requests uh, to provide me with one. But even then, uh, that reference letter was written in such a way that I probably wouldn't hire myself because it was questioning my uh, social skills, my interactions with employees, 
my engineering skills and such. And uh, that was another problem, I would say, from a Swiss perspective, because here these references, uh, reference letters are regulated by law and companies have to write them in such a way uh, for these letters be, to be helpful for the employee to find a new job. Uh, you are prohibited from writing anything negative there unless that negative stuff is related directly to your job. Like if I was a driver and I was drinking alcohol uh, during working hours or such, that would be on the reference letter. Otherwise, it's supposed to be at least neutral. And as a result, the whole company tries to compete with each other how to write bad things without writing bad things. So uh, if you get uh, a neutral reference letter, it's considered to be negative. And if you get mediocre, maybe it's neutral. So there are complications there, but Google uh, did provide me with a letter too late and uh, with a letter that was clearly negative. And as such, it contributed to me having difficulty with finding a new job, unfortunately. We even tried to negotiate it with Google and Google agreed to rewrite it and provide me with a decent letter. And just uh, as a comparison, it's possible to find on the web uh, a story by another employee actually from the same project as my last project was, who got fired, I believe, in something like 2016 or something, and got fired for underperforming. Basically, uh, that person burned out. And uh, that person says that despite of that and despite the company seeing Considering that, uh, thinking that the engineer was, uh, had been trying to game the system to, uh, keep basically uh, getting salary without actually improving the results and such, just waiting for unfortunate outcome. Still, that engineer, despite all that, got a stellar reference letter. And, uh, that's what I've heard from other people that even if you're getting fired, you are getting a good reference letter from Google because the company just doesn't want any legal issues. It's just cheaper for them to write you a good letter and uh, let you go. But in my case, it was uh, negative. And uh, and we tried to negotiate a better letter and uh, the company even agreed to that, but then uh, renegotiated it suddenly and added privacy uh, requirements. Uh, like Basically, they wanted me to sign non-disclosure agreement if I wanted to get the new reference letter and such. And since I wasn't able to trust the company and uh, it did look shady, I decided not to sign that agreement and, si- and such, I didn't get the better reference letter. Taris, what gave you the courage to speak up? You've put yourself out on a limb here, and again, you've you seem to have suffered, whether that's directly or indirectly, as a result of Google. Again, you're you're not sure. Um, maybe there's some just pure coincidences. Who knows? But what what has given you the what gave you the courage to speak up? Maybe I'm just not smart enough to avoid the trouble. <laughs> Generally, there are multiple uh, elements there. You can think of. Uh, activists, whatever, like what's the difference between me speaking up against something and some radical left activists uh, also speaking against something and trying to shut something down? And uh, I don't have an answer to that question. Like uh, I cannot say why and if I'm better than those activists, let's say, and if they can speak up, why it is so surprising that I can speak up. 
But uh, there are some things that uh, were making this easier for me. First of all, I unfortunately don't have family, so the risk to me was smaller. I was just risking my future, not the future of my family. Second, as I have mentioned, uh, since I had been getting reported for different messages internally and because of some other things unrelated to ideologies, you asked me at the beginning whether the company was considering me a good engineer or not and such, and I unfortunately missed that part. And yeah, from the company's perspective, I hadn't been the best engineer, and that is the topic of whole additional conversation. But again, getting a good manager is a lottery. And for example, I started with a manager who reported me for underperformance because I decided to write a bunch of so-called design documents, documents outlining some problem that you see, some idea how to solve it, and uh, uh, arguments why your solution is better than alternatives, let's say. And uh, my manager claimed that uh, those documents were useless and as such were just a waste of my, uh, of my working time. And he uh, claimed uh, that I had wasted at least a week of my time on writing them. And as such, I was not doing my engineering job. And uh, it's hard to argue about usefulness of those ideas, but it was pretty easy for me to prove writing these documents first in half of that time, and second, mostly in my spare time, because uh, everything is written in Google Docs. Google Docs has uh, Google Docs have timestamps. You can check when things were were getting edited there. And I knew that I wrote these documents on a weekend and one evening, and I took something like maybe four hours of work time. So I was hoping that it was uh, going to be a proof of me exceeding expectations because I wrote uh, these documents faster than my manager assumed. And also that I would be cleared of uh, this uh, underperforming perception because I was using my spare time. And I uh, did provide that evidence to my manager, to the manager of my manager, to our HR representative, and nobody did anything. And later I was told, well, maybe you didn't write the documents in uh, during your working hours, but you had certainly thought about writing them in your working hours. So uh, the accusation stands. And how do you defend uh, against that? You've been thinking something wrong. How do you prove that it wasn't the case? As such, uh, I got in a trouble there and it later harmed my future prospects at Google. And uh, together, all these things were contributing to me not having future and uh, even, who knows, uh, getting fired at some point or another. So I decided the risk to me, like the uh, additional risk wasn't already that great. So I was speaking up. As uh, for speaking up in general, I believe it just mostly because of some books you read uh, as a child or whatever, depending what kind of heroes you read about. If you read about some people spending their lives on Twitter and complaining about stuff, you probably act differently. As they say, Taris, not all heroes wear capes, right? Now, with this whole situation, what would you have liked to have happened? So, if you were still a, a Google employee, and I imagine if, if some of this sort of thinking and, and some of this scenarios didn't play out the way it's had, when you've written the document and you've had conversations with your manager, what would you have liked that to have looked like as opposed to what's actually 
happened? Ideally, I was hoping for reduction of this pressure and uh, what looked uh, as racial discrimination. I was totally up to trying to figure out actual problems and uh, solutions to them, including potential problems with racism or whatever. But uh, that's unfortunately a problem with bureaucracy. Bureaucracy isn't good at uh, solving problems or even detecting what the problem is, but it's good at giving orders. uh, And that was the attempt by the company to influence the situation. Instead of figuring out problems and good solutions, they were just giving directives for people to educate themselves. I don't think that uh, some huge changes could have happened. Uh, I was just hoping uh, that my concerns would be a signal to the management uh, for something not being right. And usually when you hear that something is might be wrong, you don't just jump on the first mention unless uh, the evidence is pretty clear. But it's useful to keep something in mind in case you start seeing the same issue again and again in other places. And it has to start somewhere. So I was just hoping to create uh, some form of understanding of things getting too far and uh, the management detecting it over time and then somehow changing the atmosphere uh, in the company. But it was too much hoping. I still hope, uh, but you can also ask why, uh, what I was expecting with going public with this. And the answer there is slightly different because I have still friends at Google. And I believe that Google is at least was an amazing company at some point and still has a lot of amazing potential. And uh, I don't want people that are there to suffer from uh, through all this nonsense. And in order for that to change, something has to be done. Uh, Some kind of incentive has to be created for the company to change its ways. I haven't seen any such incentive coming from the top management. I uh, haven't seen much of this incentive coming from employees because those that disagree pretend that uh, they are fine with everything. When James Damore got fired, I was among other people, very hopeful that him going to court would incentivize the company to change something internally. That unfortunately never happened, but I was hoping for more back then to do something basically for me without even knowing about my existence. And uh, after I got fired, I got in a position where I had some slight chance to improve things for people still there. I do want to make it very, very clear to people listening and watching that all of this stuff that I've read, you know, the documents you've put together, all of the stuff that I've watched over time in preparation for this interview, that at no stage have I seen you having written something or verbalized something that is actually rejecting some of these thoughts that back to anti-racist allyship or, you know, all of these sort of um, flavors that are coming through from your perspective and your experiences. I haven't heard you rejecting those or seen you write any rejection. All you've really been asking from what I've seen is just for some clarification. And to this date, I don't think you've received any form of clarification or had any respect from a former employee about, you know, some of the questions you've asked. Is that right? As far as I 
No, yes. Uh, obviously, the company is reluctant to provide any clarifications because whatever the company says, the company might become liable. So not saying anything is just a safe way. But uh, the company still takes actions, uh, and I was getting reprimanded again for even asking questions, not even for criticizing, but uh, asking whether something was within policies and such. And uh, that is already an action by the company, but something that the company is fine taking. But the company doesn't want to talk about these things, doesn't want to explain its decisions. I don't think uh, the company is that capable because, again, the bureaucracy is good at uh, threatening people and at creating some paperwork. The bureaucracy is not uh, that great at explaining things. I haven't seen that many people in positions to make these decisions capable of having an honest discussion and, on top of that, uh, being courageous enough to have uh, discussions in the current climate when any conversation might be against you. And certainly not, uh, unfortunately, the top management. Uh, so I'm not surprised that uh, there was no clarification. I hope that uh, eventually the company has to say something. But for now, all I can do is try to draw some attention to all this stuff, to the company being hypocritical, to the company issuing false statements uh, to the Tucker Carlson, for example, and on Sundar Pichai's, on the Google blog by Sundar Pichai after firing James Damore and such. And I just hope that at some point, either the company realizes that something is wrong and uh, decides, decides to change something even just to protect itself, or maybe some people decide that it is not as dangerous to speak up at least a little. Obviously, me uh, getting fired was a like big demonstration of, uh, uh, even if unintentional, uh, that uh, you are not supposed to talk about this stuff. But maybe if people would start asking questions even a little, it's going to get to some kind of critical mass at some point and would change things. Because otherwise, how would things change? Taras, irrespective of what people think about some of the things you shared today, they can agree or disagree you are a courageous leader. There's no doubt at all in my mind. What is it that has had the greatest impact on your leadership journey through your life? Other than books uh, that I had read during my uh, when I was a kid. And yeah, I did read uh, a lot of adventurous books uh, and such. If you're talking about leadership as in like management and whatever, uh, the way people often use the term leadership even uh, if when they refer to people just in position where leadership is expected, not to people that actually have leadership skills, I would say that Google was very useful because I've both witnessed possibility of what could be and uh, the idea of uh, like some good goal of where management could lead because my experience uh, in Ukraine was quite different. Uh, their managers usually just act as conduits for orders from the top managers, uh, and uh, there is no such thing as mentorship or personal growth or whatever. You're just supposed to comply with orders and do your job. And uh, at Google, I witnessed uh, an attempt to actually make people grow over time and try to do good things, at least on paper. And I have also witnessed a huge amount of things going wrong there, negative examples of what to try to avoid. And that was, uh, I would say, very useful, even if not that healthy. I would say all these things 
could be learned in a better way. But it was certainly a useful experience. Taris, thank you for sharing that, mate. And just in wrapping this conversation up, I, I, I once again want to say a massive thank you to you. But in my experiences of the conversations we've had and the interviews I've watched of you, and you are very articulate but very humble uh, in the way that you approach these things. Um, maybe there, some could say that you have a right to have some bitterness about. I've never seen that in you. You even in your answer just there, you know, respecting your time at Google and and, and lots of good stuff that you got from that experience. Maybe some other things that that way maybe weren't fantastic experience, but they can make you a stronger person and a better leader moving forward. So, mate, I sincerely hope that we don't get deranked through this conversation. It's really just about opening up a conversation. You've been very professional in your dealings and the way you've articulated yourself today. And I really appreciate you in sharing this information and opening the conversation around these things. These things. It's an important conversation, mate. So thank you once again. Appreciate your time. Good luck with the new job. And thank you very much for being a guest on the Culture of Things podcast. Thank you for the kind words. It was my pleasure. It was nice talking to you. Do you agree or disagree with Taris's views? If you agree or disagree, both are the problem. Too many of us take a view based on limited information or information that supports our narrative. Taris mentioned it during the interview. He doesn't expect people to agree with him or not. What he wants is for people to check out more sources of information and make up their own mind. In the four-page document Taris wrote titled Questions About Google's Anti-Racism Actions, he mentions the company is either unable or unwilling to have internal conversations on difficult topics. How can we work through differences and seek to understand if we can't talk about it? These were my three key takeaways from my conversation with Taris. My first key takeaway, there's no perfect culture. Much has been written about Google's great culture. There'll be many employees who agree with that and there'll be many that don't. Each individual's experience will be different. What we must always strive for is to create an environment where all employees feel safe to have a genuine conversation. Creating this won't create the perfect culture, but it'll be pretty damn good. My second key takeaway, leaders want to be challenged. They know the best outcomes are achieved by people challenging each other, challenging ideas, perspectives, opinions, solutions, questioning the status quo. In my opinion, this is what Taris was doing, challenging ideas, not following the herd. If you don't want to be challenged, you shouldn't be leading. My third key takeaway, leaders learn from their experiences. Whether the experience is good or bad, it's always a learning opportunity. In all of the conversations I've had with Taris and watching his media appearances, I never heard him speak badly of Google or the experience he had. Despite the challenges, he considered it a learning experience. So in summary, my three key takeaways were, there's no perfect culture. Leaders want to be challenged, and leaders learn from their experiences. If you want to talk culture, leadership, or teamwork, or have any questions or feedback about the episode, you can leave me a comment on the socials or leave me a voice message at thecultureofthings.com. Thanks for joining me, and remember, the best outcome is on the other side of a genuine conversation. Thank you for listening to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. Please visit brendanrogers.com.au to access the show notes. If you love the Culture of Things podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on Apple Podcasts. And remember, a healthy culture is your competitive advantage.